You're listening to a sermon preached by Pastor Raymond Goodlett on Sunday, August 15, 2021 at Redemption Hill Church in Richmond, Virginia. For more information about the church, visit us online at redemptionhill.com. Father, I do pray again that you would just use this time now as we read your word. I pray that we would recognize what's happening. Whichever human voice you use, it's really your voice ultimately coming to us through the words of Scripture. Help us to listen that way. And I pray that as your word comes to us, what Isaiah said would be true. That your word would never return to you void, but that it would always accomplish the purpose for which you sent it out. So, Father, we pray that you would instruct us, you would challenge us, you would correct us, you would train us, and you would change us in the way that you desire. We ask that in your name, Jesus. And everybody said, amen. Matthew chapter 5, verse 17 through 20, Jesus, this is his famous Sermon on the Mount, as we call it now. He's just gone through what we call the Beatitudes. He's reminded us that we are to him, salt and light in the world, and there's a whole lot to what that means. And then he comes to clear up a very common confusion, a misunderstanding in verse 17 through 20. And he says here, do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. For truly I say to you, until heaven and earth pass away, Not an iota, not a dot, will pass from the law until all is accomplished. Therefore, whoever relaxes one of the least of these commandments and teaches others to do the same will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever does them and teaches them will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For I tell you, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and the Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. I'll tell you a little story as we begin. This was January of 2006, so 15 years ago. My wife Heather and I, my current wife, we were engaged at that time, not married at the time, but we would get married in April of that year, just a few months later. But my old college roommate, Andre, was getting married in January, and he was getting married in Jamaica, which was exciting, because he he invited Heather and me to come and be there at the wedding, and I I got to go see some relatives and and just spend time in Jamaica. Uh, But but when we were going there, I, I remember there were no direct flights out of Richmond to Jamaica at that time when I needed them, and so I booked one out of Baltimore. And we made plans to go up to my parents' house. They lived in Maryland, and uh, we were just going to go stay the night, have them take us to the airport, and so we did that. Now, for some reason, I thought that after we had already made the trip to Maryland, I thought that would be a good time to check to see if I had packed my passport. That was a bad idea. Now, Heather did not know this. She was upstairs in my parents' house, and I started looking through the bags to, to see if maybe she had been responsible and had put them in there somewhere, um, even though it was my responsibility. And, and as it turns out, 
Heather came down the stairs, saw me looking through the bags, took one look at my face, and she knew exactly what was going on. Her passport I found. Mine was back in Richmond. And so it was really late that night. We, I, I had to make a very quick decision. Am I going to, to take that four, four and a half hour round trip back to Richmond and, and back to my parents' house to get that passport? Or is there some other way? Is there some other way I can get into this country? Now, my accent wasn't going to do it. Uh, it's close enough, but it still wasn't going to do it. As it turns out, I made a, a call here or there. As it turns out, there was actually something else the Jamaican authorities would accept in lieu of my passport. I actually had to show them one of the original copies of my birth certificate. As God would have it, divine providence, I happened to be in the only other place in the world that had one of those copies. Disaster avoided. Now, I tell you that story to say this. There was no chance that I was going to be allowed into the country of Jamaica. Even though my uncle, well, maybe, maybe I could have called my uncle and pulled a string. He, he was the former chief of the Jamaican Defense Force. He probably could have got me in. But, but typically, there, there is no way I was going to get into that country without what the authorities there require for entry. Now let me ask you a question. What do you think the chances are that you and I will be able to enter the kingdom of heaven without having what the authorities there require for entry? You know the answer is zero chance. And that's exactly what Jesus is saying to us this morning. In Matthew chapter 5, verse 20, he says very plainly, I tell you, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and the Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Friends, we can and should take Jesus at his word this morning. Without this righteousness, we will never enter the kingdom of heaven. In fact, if we look at what Jesus says, we could say, that heaven has a way of measuring our righteousness. That God actually measures righteousness to the point where Jesus can say, I've already measured the righteousness of the scribes and the Pharisees. If yours does not exceed theirs, you won't get in. Now that brings up a number of important questions for us this morning. We want to look at these. Number one. What kind of righteousness did the scribes and Pharisees have? And why wasn't it enough to get them into the kingdom of heaven? Number two, how does our righteousness compare to theirs? Do we have the righteousness that God requires of us? And lastly, number three, if the answer to that last question is no then how do we get the righteousness that we need? So again, what kind of righteousness did they have? How does our righteousness compare to theirs? And if we don't have the righteousness that heaven requires, how do we get it? Let's take those one at a time and start with that first one. What kind of righteousness did the scribes and the Pharisees have? Well, first let me say a quick word about who they were. Not very long. These guys would, 
would be considered the experts when it came to understanding and keeping all of God's law or all of God's rules. By tradition, people counted some 613 rules that came from the first five books of the Bible. 245 positive commands which said you should do this, 300, or 248 rather, 365 negatives which said you should not do this. Okay, so altogether, 230 or 613, and you had to keep all these rules, and that would be your righteousness. All right, and I don't know if there's any truth to this. Some people said they believed at that time there were 248 distinct parts of the body, so you had to love the Lord your God with all your whole self. And 365 days, I don't even think they operated with that calendar. So now that I'm thinking about it, they said for every day of the year, you should be reminded of what God says you shouldn't do. And so all of that meant. 613 rules you would keep, and that would be your righteousness. Instead, we want to look at what God is saying here. So that's what the scribes and Pharisees represented to the people. They knew more about the Bible, more about what God said. They understood his, his will and his law better than anyone else. And in terms of the Pharisees, a good modern equivalent would be, think of the people that you consider to be the most serious when it comes to religious observance. Probably in any religion, but the most serious and committed people when it comes to religious observance. That's who those guys were. And so the important thing about who they were was in the eyes of the people, these were, the scribes and the Pharisees were the ones who were guaranteed to get in. If anyone's getting into the kingdom of heaven, it's those guys. And so it was incredibly shocking when Jesus said, listen, I'm telling you, not only are they on the outside looking in. But if your righteousness doesn't exceed theirs, you don't have a chance either. And so, leads us to ask, how, how in the world is our righteousness going to exceed the righteousness of the people that, in our eyes, seem to be the best? I mean, these guys were flawless, some of them, in terms of how they kept all these rules. Lord, what are you, what are you saying? How are we going to outdo them in what they're doing? And Jesus wasn't talking about us out Phariseeing the Pharisees here. In fact, if it, let, me, let me give an illustration here. And I try these out on kids uh, to see if they can understand it. And I really do that because then I know if, if the kids can understand it, then maybe the adults have a chance to, right? So imagine this. Things are not always what they seem. When people looked at the Pharisees, they thought a certain thing about the Pharisees. When people look at, let's say, a pastor like me, acting in this role or in this capacity, if you don't know very much else about me, you can develop an opinion about me that places me on on much higher of a pedestal than I deserve to be. Some of you actually do know me, and there's no chance or no, you're not not going to do that because you actually know me. but, but we do this with people at times. But things aren't always what they seem when we're looking. So here's, here's an illustration. Imagine, imagine I have two chocolate bunnies, okay? I know, just go with me. Now, imagine those two chocolate bunnies look exactly alike on the outside, okay? You look at them, height, size, no difference, uh, exactly the same from the outside, But one of them is hollow and the other one is solid. Now, first of all, which one of those do you want? The solid one, right? Me too, okay? But the point here 
is that while those bunnies look exactly the same, they're actually quite different. And the thing that makes them different is what's on the inside. Okay? Now, you can't tell which one is which just by looking at those bunnies. But what if I were to put them in your hands and give you a chance to weigh them? Do you think you could tell the difference then? You could, couldn't you? Okay. All right. If you can understand that, you can understand what Jesus is saying about the Pharisees. In fact, in Proverbs chapter 21, verse 2, the Bible says something very interesting. In Proverbs 21, 2, we're told every way of a man is right in his own eyes, but the Lord weighs the heart. You see, it's easy for us to overestimate our own righteousness or our own goodness right, or, or that of someone else when all we're doing is looking at the outside, looking at their actions. But God weighs the heart. And God has a way of doing that. His evaluation of us is always based on what's on the inside. It always includes, I should say, what's on the inside. And so when you look at the Pharisees, the problem with them and the scribes was that their religious devotion, um, their, their righteousness was the hollow type. That's really the point that Jesus is getting after. Their righteousness was the hollow type. It looked full. It looked complete, but on the inside it was empty, and it lacked the heart of righteousness that God requires for us, the heart of righteousness beyond what we could see with our eyes. And Jesus would go on to point this out as he goes through the Sermon on the Mount from this point on, starting in the very next verse in chapter 5, verse 21, Jesus will give us six examples in chapter 5 alone where he compares and contrasts the hollow righteousness of the scribes and Pharisees with the true righteousness required of us if we're going to enter into the kingdom of heaven. And you'd hear him say things like, you've heard that it was said, but I tell you. In each one of those, he's comparing and contrasting that hollow righteousness to the true righteousness that we need. And so he would look at them and say, yeah, yeah, you've heard that it was said, don't commit murder, but I say to you, I mean, what about all that anger in your heart? Okay, so the Pharisees and the scribes, sure, they kept their hands from murder, but their hearts were full of unrighteous anger, and Jesus was exposing that. By the time he gets to chapter 6, he deals with our motives, and he says, yeah, they gave to the needy, but they really only did it so that other people could see them and praise them for it. And that is a hollow kind of righteousness. That's the sort of righteousness that they had. That's why Jesus said, unless something changes, they're still on the outside looking in. Now, what about us? What kind of righteousness do we have? How does it compare to theirs? And do we have on the inside the sort of righteousness that God requires for those who would enter the kingdom of heaven? And remember, it will not do simply to have a righteousness that is slightly less hollow than those of the scribes and the Pharisees. Beating them in a race of self-righteousness will do us no good. It's like if you watch the Olympics, those who came in seventh and eighth when only the top two qualify, sure the seventh might say, hey, I beat you to the, to the guy who came in eighth. But at the end of the day, that doesn't get number seven in. Okay, it, the same is true for us. 
regardless of how you stack up or how I stack up next to anyone else in this room or out there beyond this room, that's not the issue. The issue is when God evaluates us, do we have the righteousness that he requires to enter? To say, yes, come on in. Well, let's see what the Bible says about us, shall we? Now go to the book of Romans chapter 3. Romans chapter 3, verses 10 through 12. Prepare yourself. The Bible does not have a glowing opinion of human beings. It speaks from the perspective of heaven where for eternity they have been accustomed to perfection. One sin, one sin from Lucifer, and he was kicked out. Prepare yourself. Romans chapter 3, verses 10 through 12. As it is written, none is righteous, no, not one. No one understands, no one seeks for God. All have turned aside, together they have become worthless. No one does good, not even one. Now, if you're like me, you're, you're thinking, wait, wait a minute. I know lots of good people. I know lots of people who do good in the world. Why does the Bible speak like this? Why, why so extreme? What do you mean no one does good, not even one person? Well, remember, when you and I say that someone is good, what we're actually doing is we're taking a standard of goodness that we have in mind, and we're applying it to that person. We're comparing them to whatever standard we have in mind, and we're saying, yep, when I measure them by that standard, that person is a good person. And what we typically mean by that is their good deeds outweigh or outnumber their bad deeds. The net result is positive, and that's good enough for me. They're not doing anything overly evil. I think they're a good person. And if, if there is such a place as heaven, they will certainly get there. Okay, but heaven is not ours to determine who goes in or who does not. And there is no guarantee that God is working with the same standard of goodness that we are working with. In fact, there's every guarantee that he's not. And that his standard of goodness is indeed much higher. His standard of righteousness far exceeds whatever we would apply to ourselves or others. I mean, you might, you might make the mistake of calling me tall if you measure me against my daughters or if you, if you stand me up next to Lionel Messi, you know, soccer player for those of you who don't know who that is. But if you stand me up next to Kevin Durant, some of you are, are you're getting the idea now. I'm not so tall anymore. Well, it, it, it all depends on who you're comparing me to or what standard you're using to measure me. It's the same thing when it comes to righteousness and goodness. When heaven applies the perfect standard of goodness for human life to us, that is Jesus' perfect life, Jesus himself, when we all stand next to him, we all come up short. In fact, Romans chapter 3 verse 23 will say that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And so apart from God's grace, just like the scribes and Pharisees, our righteousness is lacking as well. And you know this about yourself. You've caught yourself gossiping. You've caught yourself lying when you thought that it would benefit you. 
You've caught yourself rehearsing a lie in your heart as you're trying to figure out what you're going to say about why you're late, even though that's not the real reason you're late. You understand. Psalm 15, 2 will tell us who can ascend to your hill. He whose walk is blameless and who speaks the truth in his heart. See, we, we know, when we're being honest, we know we lack righteousness on the inside. If you don't believe that about yourself yet, Come talk to someone in this room for just, just a little while. Let them ask you some questions. And let, let's see how that goes. But it's clear, I, I know at least for me, I, I don't have on my own the righteousness God would require. The Bible says that about me. It agrees with what I've observed about myself. My wife and my kids will surely agree. And I'm pretty confident that all of us, according to the Bible, fall into that very same category. Now, where does that leave us? Leaves us on the outside looking in as well, unless something is going to change. And thanks be to God, something can change. But I have one bit of bad news for you, one more bit of bad news before we get to something good. Not only do you and I currently lack the righteousness that we need, but we can't get it, not through our own moral efforts. The Apostle Paul goes on to say this in Romans chapter 3. Look at verse 19 and 20. When the Jews who would have read what Paul said in Romans chapter 3 about no one being righteous, when the Jews would have read that, they would have recognized what Paul was writing from the Psalms in the Old Testament. They would have recognized those very same words. They were a quote from Psalm 14 and Psalm 53. Those two Psalms are virtually identical. And that's where the Apostle Paul got those words. And so they've always read those words thinking they applied to the Gentiles, the the godless Gentiles who, who don't believe in the God that we believe in, who don't serve the God that we serve. Psalm 14 begins by saying, the fool says in his heart there is no God. So the Jews would have thought that only applies to them. Yeah, of course, none of them is righteous. But the Apostle Paul is going to bring out something very important here for those reading his letter and seeing this quotation from the Psalms. He says in in chapter 3, verse 19, Now we know that whatever the law says, speaking of God's word, it says to those who are under the law. Whatever God is saying to us from the Bible about no one being righteous, he is saying to those of us who have the Bible and who are reading it. He's talking to us. Now we know that whatever the law says, it says to those who are under the law, so that every mouth may be silenced and the whole world held accountable to God. Romans 3 verse 20, Therefore no one will be declared righteous in God's sight by works of the law. Rather, through the law, we become conscious of our sin. In other words, when we, when we go through God's Bible, when we go through and we see all these different rules about how we should live and what we should do and what we shouldn't do, and the, these things are not meant to be taken as some sort of a ladder that we can use by keeping them all so perfectly that we can climb up to a place of acceptance and favor with God. It's more like a mirror that shows us who we truly are. Through the law, we become conscious of our sin. We begin to see, when the law says, do not covet, we begin to see how covetous we really are, how much we want what someone else has. In fact, today we have a whole grievance industry that's based on good old-fashioned coveting, 
and telling everyone you actually have the right to not only covet what others have, but to get it from yourself, even if you have to use force to take it. It's just good old-fashioned covetousness, coveting, that God outlaws in his word. And today we're just telling people not only should you reject what God says, you should adopt this as a pattern for your life. You should indulge your coveting and demand to have everything that you see everybody else having. It's not right, okay? It is inconsistent with Christian belief and Christian living. I just want you all to be clear on that. We should not begin to confuse those things with with what we call justice. Okay? There's a broad discussion about those things. Sometimes justice does require maybe one or two of the things that you have in mind right now. I wouldn't know because I don't know what's in your mind and you're not going to shout and tell me what it is right now. Uh, But many times what we are saying is a thing of justice is actually a way of baptizing coveting and telling people that they have the right and the obligation to live that way. I understand if that happens outside of God's people, it should not happen inside. Do you all understand? Now, there's a whole lot more I could say about our condition apart from the grace of God, but I'm not going to do it right now because in about one month's time, Pastor Demetrius is going to be up here. And he's actually going to go in depth, more in depth into some of those things and show us why we have such a need for the gospel and for Jesus Christ. I'm, I'm going to leave that there then for that moment, leave some meat on that bone, and then I'm going to move on to our next question, our last question here. You and I don't have the righteousness that heaven requires apart from the grace of God. How can we get it? How can we get this righteousness so that when we appear before the Lord, he'll be able to say, yes, you may enter. Is there something, is there something else that the authorities will accept other than our own pieced together righteousness? Yes. The Bible's answer is yes. There is actually another kind of righteousness. There is another kind of righteousness, not one that we put together, one good deed at a time, but one that comes to us as a gift from God, from the outside, all at once, through faith in Jesus. This is what the old saints, the old divines used to call an alien righteousness, Not alien because it's weird and it comes from a spaceship or something like that, but alien in the sense that it comes from the outside. It's not something you produce on your own. It is is a righteousness given, imputed to you, an alien righteousness that you have the opportunity to receive and call your own. The Bible speaks about this other kind of righteousness right here in Romans chapter 3 again. Let's look at it together Romans chapter 3, verse 21 through 25. Right after telling us that no one will be declared righteous through works of the law, the Apostle Paul tells us in the very next verse, but now there is a righteousness from God that has been revealed or manifested. The righteousness of God has been manifested apart from law, although the law and the prophets do testify about it. 
So the Old Testament doesn't mention this other kind of righteousness. In fact, in Genesis 15, 6, God tells Abraham to look up at the stars, to count them, and he says, hey, so shall your offspring be. And then it says Abraham believed God, and it was credited to him as righteousness. So the Old Testament, the law and the prophets testify to this other kind of righteousness that is apart from law and through faith. And Paul speaks about that here in Romans. In fact, in chapter 4 of Romans, he's going to give that very example of Abraham. All right, the whole chapter of Romans chapter 4 is devoted to that example that the righteousness which comes through faith is not a new thing. You see it even in the life of Abraham, who we call the father of faith. Okay, Romans 3, we'll do that again, verse 21 through 25. But now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from law although the law and the prophets bear witness to it. This righteousness from God comes through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. For there is no distinction, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by His grace as a gift through the redemption that came in Jesus Christ, whom God put forward as a propitiation by His blood to be received by faith. We don't have the righteousness that we need, but there's another kind of righteousness revealed in the gospel. One that comes to us, not as we put together one good deed at a time, but comes to us through faith in Jesus Christ, to all who believe. We all fall short of the glory of God, and the only way for us to be made right in God's eyes, which is what the Bible means thereby justified, the only way for that to happen is for us to receive God's grace as a gift. And all of it comes to us through what Jesus does on the cross. The redemption or the payment that he provides for our sins on the cross. And God puts Jesus forward as a propitiation. That is a a sacrifice that absorbs and turns the wrath of God away from us. God puts him forward as a propitiation to be received by faith. And to those who put their faith in Christ as he dies in their place... Those receive this gift of righteousness. That is the other way that we can be counted righteous in God's sight. And it's the only way that would work for people like us who have already blown it. We have already blown our chance to be righteous through perfectly keeping all of God's law. Now, this righteousness, which is apart from law, is gained, again, in a completely different way. And once once you receive Jesus Christ, once you put your faith in Christ, this righteousness, this gift righteousness, is yours, and it's yours permanently. It is yours forever. Now, now I want to say this carefully. This is if you have truly receive Jesus Christ. This is if you have truly come to a point of repentance where you have truly believed what he says about himself, truly believed what he says about you, truly believed what he says about your need for him, truly believed that he died in your place on the cross, truly believed that God raised him from the dead, truly believed that this is the only way for you to be made right with God. If that is true of you, if you have really believed in Christ in that way, then the righteousness that he freely gives to us is yours and it is yours forever. 
And don't just take my word for it. Look at Romans chapter 5, verse 18 through 19. We're getting close to closing here. Look at Romans 5, 18 through 19. The Bible says there, Therefore, as one trespass led to condemnation for all men, so one act of righteousness leads to justification and life for all men. Now verse 19 is key. I want you to really pay attention here. For as by the one man's disobedience, the many were made sinners, so now by the one man's obedience, the many will be made righteous. Did you, did you catch that? Listen. This is so important to understand. I can't let you go until I can see on your face that you get verse 19. All of us have been negatively impacted by Adam's sin. The Bible says, for by the one man's disobedience, the many were made sinners. But in the same way, The next part of that verse is also true. Just like that is true, it is also true that by the one man's obedience, the many will be made righteous. That is Jesus Christ. We can all be positively and eternally impacted in a good way by what Jesus did. I love how Pastor Robert Greene says this all the time. Anyone can get in on this deal. Verse 19 tells us that the many will be made righteous by the one man's obedience. I I want you to get this. I'm going to say it just like God gave it to me so I don't mess it up. For the many who will be made righteous by faith, the obedience that makes them righteous is one man's obedience. Do you see that in verse 19? So by the one man's obedience, the many will be made righteous. For the many who will be made righteous through faith, the obedience that makes them righteous is one man's obedience. Not two. It's not Jesus' obedience plus mine. It's not Jesus' obedience plus yours. The record of obedience that makes us righteous in God's eyes through faith is one man's obedience. And that one man is Jesus Christ. The good news, the gospel, is that God has given us the opportunity to be counted righteous in his eyes, not on the basis of our ever-changing record of good versus bad deeds, but the never-changing record of Jesus' perfect obedience to him. You have got to get this. Because it is going to free you. Some of you have lived with half of a gospel. You understand rightly that Jesus has died for your sins. 
And therefore, as your substitute in death, you no longer have to pay the penalty that your sins deserve. You no longer have to literally die for your own sins because Christ took your place in death. He was your substitute. He has died in your place. But now you think it is up to you to live for your righteousness. You have half a gospel. And so you have no assurance regarding the future. You still, I mean, it could be decades of Christianity, and you still don't have the assurance that is the birthright of the one who is truly born again, to know with certainty our hope that God will look at you and say, well done, good and faithful servant, not on the basis of your ever-changing record of good versus bad deeds and the imperfection of it all, but on the the basis of the never-changing record of Jesus Christ, the perfect Son of God. He also was our substitute in his living. He perfectly obeyed the law of God. He perfectly obeyed every single one of God's commands in our place. This is why when he was baptized and John the Baptist felt funny about baptizing him, he said, man, I'm not qualified to do this. And Jesus said in Matthew 3, 15, it's all right. Let it be so for now. It is necessary for us to fulfill all righteousness. I have not come to take the law and the prophets from you, Jesus said. I'm waiting until all is fulfilled. I have come to fulfill them for you. Jesus is our substitute in death, but also in life. He not only died to pay the penalty for our sins, he lived to provide us with the righteousness that we need. And this is the offer that God gives to us and to the rest of the world. You have the opportunity to come before God one of two ways. Either you're going to take your chances on what you can piece together, convince yourself that you're a really good person, and that God just simply has to accept what you're offering. Or you can accept what he's offering you. The chance to be accepted on the basis of Jesus' perfection in your place. Dying for your sins to pay the penalty for your sins that you've committed and rising and providing you with the righteousness that you need in order to enter the kingdom of heaven. That is the offer that God gives to each single one of us this morning. And so I'll leave you with this. This is the Apostle Paul. He was an actual Pharisee, by the way. Sometimes we talk today about who is like a Pharisee and we work really hard to convince ourselves that we and other people are exactly like Pharisees and I understand all that and But Paul was an actual Pharisee, and he jumped in on this deal. Galatians chapter 2, verse 21, the Apostle Paul said, I do not nullify or set aside the grace of God. For if righteousness could be gained through the law, Christ died for nothing. Folks, I'm here to tell you Christ did not die for nothing. His death was not pointless He even prayed before that in Gethsemane. You remember. Father, if if it's possible for this to be done any other way, if this cup can just pass from me, please, any other way. And of course, since there was no other way for this to happen, for us to be made righteous, he went to the cross. If righteousness could be gained through the law, Christ died for nothing. But his death was not in vain. It was not for nothing. It was necessary for our sake. And so I leave you with that choice. Will you nullify or set aside the gospel here? Will you nullify and set aside the grace of God 
Or will you set aside the notion that you'll, you'll be good enough for God on your own merit? Eternity hangs in the balance. I wish I could pull up my Indiana Jones uh, Holy Grail moment here. Choose wisely. Choose wisely. Let me pray for us. Lord, I pray that you will help us all. I pray that you will help us all to choose wisely. To realize that you set before us the opportunity, not, not simply of a lifetime, but for all eternity here. The opportunity to be fully forgiven and to receive as a gift the righteousness that we could never earn. Lord, I thank you so much for your kindness toward us through your son, Jesus Christ. That he not only died in our place, but, but he also lived in our place to provide us with the righteousness that we need. And now, Lord, I ask that your Holy Spirit would continually fill our hearts so that we'll never take this grace as a license for sin, but only as an occasion to live in such a way that pleases and honors you. Strengthen us to share this good news, this gospel, with the rest of the world. Open a door for our message and let our light so shine before others that they will see our good works and glorify you. And it's in your name, Jesus, that we pray. Amen. Amen. Consider what you've heard for just a couple of minutes. Uh, man, I invite you, if, if, if you've never given your life to Jesus Christ, if you've never taken your life, including your sins, to his cross, and if you've never had that exchange happen where your sins are given to him and his forgiveness and righteousness is given to you, that opportunity is here for you this morning. You need not leave this room without that exchange taking place. The Lord is present to bless you in that way. If you have come to faith in Christ, but you've lived without the assurance of hope that belongs to the child of God, God, I pray, I pray that you would meditate on this very same gospel and realize that the Lord wants to grant you that assurance, that you are free and that you no longer have to piece together your own righteousness because Jesus provided you with that as well. Spend the rest of your life thanking him and loving him for doing it. Go and be free and release that burden. Release yourself from that burden. Lord, again, we thank you. You've been listening to a sermon preached by Pastor Raymond Goodlett at Redemption Hill Church in Richmond, Virginia. For more information about the church and to hear other sermons like this, visit us online at redemptionhill.com.